Lord Jesus Christ, open our eyes to see your glory. Open our minds to understand your gospel message. Open our hearts to the wounds of the world and to your promise of redemption. And strengthen our wills to follow you come what may. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we've come to that time of year yet again when we bewail and bemoan not only our own sin and wickedness, but also the fact that Starbucks and other companies won't wish, up, won't wish us a Merry Christmas. You've seen the video. I don't know if you've seen this controversy in YouTube. So they've come out with the red Starbucks cup for Christmas, but they've omitted the words Merry Christmas which has people all upset. So they came out with another model called, uh, with the words joy on it. But if you buy a Starbucks card, it can say Merry Christmas right on it. So you can go to, to Starbucks to your barista and wish them a Merry Christmas by using one of their own gift cards. Let me give you that. It's also the time of year we get grumpy because Christmas decorations go up long before the actual day of December 25th. And by the time Christmas actually arrives, they're rather sick and tired of it. So if you wish people a Merry Christmas during Christmas, they look at you as if you've lost your mind. It's rather fun. You should try it. Like around December the 30th. Merry Christmas. It's over. It's done. Today is ha it's, uh, New Year's Day. Happy New Year's. Did you know it's New Year's Day? Happy New Year's. Let's try it again. Happy New Year's. Happy New Year's. There we go. <laughs> it's one of those times in the year when we realize something of the dissonance in our lives. We seek to be citizens of America and the world and also citizens of the kingdom of God. And the calendar on our walls is basically revolves around the position of the sun and the moon, around tax day around now, shopping days till Christmas, that's the important thing, or when you have to send things overseas. But the Christian calendar, of course, begins with the great reminder of the arrival of God, not in Israel 2,000 years ago, but the coming arrival of God in the future, when he will come to put all things right. And that's what Advent's about. Advent is not Christmas. And somebody pointed out, in the world, the war is not on Christmas. The war is really on Advent. You know, it's easier to believe that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. We can go to the place. We can read the historical documents written around the time. There's good evidence. He came once at great risk to himself as a baby. It's harder to believe and less convenient to believe that he will come again as judge. Because that's what we say in the creed, isn't it? That he will come again in his glorious majesty to judge the living and the dead. We will say that later on in our service. That's a little more sobering, isn't it? That he will come as judge. It gives a little bit more of an edge to Advent, which is a preparation for his coming again. Do you know that the four traditional themes of Advent, I've been told, were sin, judgment, hell, and heaven? It was meant to involve serious 
spiritual preparation to clean up our lives as we prepare to welcome the Prince of Peace into our lives, into our hearts and homes and into our world. What can our observance of Advent bring to this troubled world? There's so much going on. We see the realignments in the Middle East, people jockeying for position. It reminds you of the old Bedouin proverb, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Who's my enemy? Who's my friend? The downing of a Russian plane by a NATO member. Terrorist attacks based on religious ideology in Paris, Beirut, Baghdad, and Mali. The war in Syria causing thousands and thousands upon refugees who are languishing in Europe. In our own country, race relationships, political posturing and outrageous pronouncements, economic concerns for the price of oil, for unemployment and homelessness, poverty, human trafficking, not unlike the world into which Jesus was born. It was not a pastoral, bucolic, peaceful world. There was great oppression, violence, brutality, and injustice. Also, not unlike the world in which our Savior challenged us with the most audacious moral teaching. In the midst of that violent situation, he says to us, pray for your enemies, love those who persecute you. Thinking of the refugee crisis, it seems that either we're concerned for our safety, in which case we might look like hard-headed curmudgeons, or we're concerned for the welfare of the refugees, in which case we might look like soft-headed, bleeding hearts. So what do we do? How do we respond to Jesus' charge to be wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves? The Collect today says, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness. Surely ISIS is the most extreme form of a work of darkness that we must cast away, that we must stop. But how do we do it and not be infected by the darkness of fear and hate and vengeance? How do we, as the colic goes on to say, put upon us the armor of light? The gospel calls us to risk. It summons us to love even when it is dangerous because it is the right thing to do. The gospel is concerned for our eternal security, but as I read the gospels, it seems less concerned for my security here and now. The gospel reading today seems so completely relevant. Look at if you would in the in your bulletin at Luke chapter 21. As Jesus speaks to his his listeners, he says there will be distress among the nations in verse 25. Confused. It goes on to say, be on your guard so your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and the worries of this life. Be alert. Be strong. He was writing to a situation very much like our own. So how do we be on guard? The gospel beckons us to an audacious endeavor of love, steadfastly staying the course to be people of hope and faith and love. 
Do you know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer? In 1934, this young German pastor watched in sadness as his democratic, educated, and Christian country discarded more and more of its core values. Fear-mongering politicians lured patriotic citizens to throw out their Bibles and worship at the altar of national security instead, and to behave terribly toward foreigners, minorities, the disabled, and the mentally ill. Three weeks after Adolf Hitler was proclaimed der Fuhrer, and nine months after the law for the prevention of hereditary, hereditary diseased offspring took effect, the young pastor preached a sermon to his flag-waving nationalist colleagues about how Christians in a crisis should behave. Here's what he said. There is no way to peace along the way to safety. For peace must be dared. It is itself the great venture and can never be safe. Peace is the opposite of security. To look for guarantees is to want to protect oneself. Peace means giving oneself completely to God's commandment, wanting no security, but in faith and obedience, laying down the destiny of the nations in the hands of the Almighty God not trying to direct it for selfish purposes. Battles are won, not with weapons, but with God. They are won when the way leads to the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is also known for his famous quote, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. And Bonhoeffer gave his own life in prison shortly before uh, the Allied forces liberated the prison he was in. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. That is not a beckon to safety and security, but rather to a life of risk and adventure. The author G.K. Chesterton said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found too difficult and not tried. Our baptism is a baptism into the death of Jesus Christ so that we might no longer fear death, but live the resurrected life. My concerns for my own safety and security, which are often urgent and demanding, are always suspect because of my entrenched, self-centered ego. I don't like it when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, or consider others better than yourself, or those who lose their lives will find them. Our bishop and Bishop Fisher and the dean of our cathedral signed their name to a letter about refugees, an open letter to Houston Christian leaders. And they say, the Syrian question is the latest manifestation of a global reality. This challenge will not go away. And in fact, is an opportunity for our communities to show our moral courage in the face of fear. If we are not able to do that, I am afraid we have responded in exactly the way the forces of evil desire. If instead we respond with conviction, we will show once again that in the words of Martin Luther King Jr., darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. And so I think in this Advent season, we need to remember that God calls us as followers of Jesus Christ to be steadfast, in our love and faith and hope 
to be examples and harbingers that God will come again and will come, not as a judge to make us feel guilty, but as a judge to redeem us. The gospel passage talks about your redemption is drawing nigh, not your condemnation. Last Monday morning, Jose Moran of the Holy Child Jesus Church in Richmond Hill, Queens, New York, went to work and set up the nativity set for the year and left the manger empty where Jesus would arrive later. He went out for lunch, and when he came back from lunch in the church, he heard the sound of a baby crying and discovered that a mother who had given birth just five or six hours before had left her baby in the manger meant for Jesus because the church for her was a sanctuary. I'm sure she felt she had no other place to go. Father Hinu said he found, the priest of the church said he found the story inspirational. God works in mysterious ways, he said. The child's mother must have been in a difficult place in her life. She found in this creche, this empty place where Jesus will be in a few weeks as a home for her son. I think it's a wonderful sign of what God's calling us to do, to prepare our hearts, to open them, to receive him into our hearts, but also as a community, to prepare our community to receive him. And as he tarries, we wait in preparation to be signposts along the way, signposts of faith in a world where many are hopeless, signs of love where there's hate, signs of uh, Faith in a world where many are despairing, confused, and fearful. Look with me, if you will, back to the Thessalonians passage. We'll end with verse 12. You see it? 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.